You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of Legends of Runeterra. This episode is supported by listeners like you. To become a supporter of Legends Cast, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. I am one of your hosts, Mark, or the Lift from outside of Pittsburgh, PA, and with me tonight I have my legendary and always faithful co-host, Dead Broke Nerd. Dead Broke Nerd, how you doing tonight, man? Doing pretty good. You know, I was just thinking it would be such a weird thing if I did the intro and people would be like, what? But it would be even cooler if I tried my best to imitate you. That'd be even funnier. I was just thinking about how I'm finally really nailing the intro at this point. Yeah, you're fired. I finally have to come in and pretend to be you. I have to do the damn broke nerd. (laughs) I got to do that. (laughs) Okay, okay. Let's have you. Let's just do it right now. Let Let's just do it. No, no, it's it's too soon. I haven't. I haven't. You haven't practiced. That's right. Maybe episode twenty four. Maybe episode. 34 34 <laughs> that's a lot of practice for just imitating the intro. To, i'm a method actor okay i really have to get into the role all right <laughs> <laughs> really have to oh, you man. really have to learn more about me i i have that's to write right. i have to write a, a paper about my childhood for you to study before mm-hmm. you can really get into my character and be the I'll, opener of the show i'll go to work and start signing all of my emails mark you know <laughs> that should that will definitely help that will that's do commitment it. that's commitment right yeah you, you i'm sure work would understand it wouldn't be confusing they, to them at all they They'd would know i'm researching a role okay mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. gosh yeah that makes sense uh <laughs> so so we have an interesting uh situation here this week where like we kind of uh are really only doing kind of fun segments you know like i don't yeah. feel like we're doing any big like educational lessons or like you know interviews or anything like that i think we're just kind of having having some fun with a couple couple segments but i kind of like that you know it's different for us we typically kind of have these big looming topics of whatever they are you know this week we're just kind of chilling and having some fun yeah we're gonna do a guest we're not gonna do a guest a a q a a little q a from the discord that came in today we're gonna do uh we're gonna choose the winner of the deck name game competition for this week and then we are going to uh what's oh we're gonna do our our top five cards that are unappreciated or underappreciated right Mm mm-hmm yeah. yeah. So, yeah, literally, you know what? And here's the reason. There's no news. There's not really any news, right? We're in like the and okay, so this is the one thing that I did want to talk about that isn't necessarily news related but game related, and that is every card game I've ever played has this sort of lull period that you it's between expansions and nothing is really out and there's not really any announcing going on. And, you know, podcasts, every podcast I've listened to sort of hit that lull and every community hit it as well. Although with like Hearthstone, it was like a month and a half long. Um, And that's actually how I got in to Elder Scrolls Legends was because during the Hearthstone lulls, I would I would swap over and play (laughs) Tessel. Um, And then eventually I fell in love with Tessel and quit Hearthstone and played only Tessel. That was a big that was a big jump for me. But, uh, you know, I think that we we haven't really experienced that in LOR yet because of the frequency of card changes and stuff. But I think a part of the staleness of this meta and things has made it so that we have seemed to hit a bit of like a content 
excitement and excitement lull right now. I don't know if you felt yeah. that or not. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I, I can certainly see that just in the level of uh, excitement about different interactions and, and cards. It does. I have definitely been feeling pretty much everything at this point, unless it's a deck that I just know I won't like or don't have interest in. You know, um, and I, I have the decks that I've really enjoyed and, and and kind of committed to really playing and, and tuning and stuff. And those typically when I log in, those are the ones I want to play. And sometimes I'll have a different idea. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, we're to expect there to never be a lull, I think, is naive, uh, you know. And so even though like people who are you know, veterans of Hearthstone or, or Elder Scrolls Legends might get a little concerned, like, oh, no, there's there's a lull. Oh, no, but remember that lull in the other game? But I think it's that's not really a, a fair expectation to always be perpetually surprised and and there's some stuff always changing. And I think, honestly, I, I was impressed with how long the game went without a lull. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think it's necessary, too. Like, I think, I think that there needs to be a bit of, like... There needs to be, like, right, the high-end excitement of, like, card reveals, new expansions, new events, new, 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 right? Um, th Like, there there needs to be a lull in order for that to be a big deal. Because if everything mm -hmm. is, if there's constantly stuff and constantly a big deal, then the actual big deals, which are big infusions of cards, will feel less significant. So I, th I think it's important. I mean, that's true of every aspect of life, but I think that I think that's particularly important here. You know, yeah, yeah, you sure. really need that that little bit of a and, and it's not entirely a law, right? We got labs. Um, and uh, and did you get a chance to play any labs this week, DBN? Because last week when we recorded, like they had literally just come out. So like neither I had gotten a chance to mess around in one, but we really hadn't had a chance to play them much. Did you get a chance to check out the ARAM lab this week? No, not at all. I didn't I didn't touch it. Uh I heard that there wasn't any rewards for it, and so a little less I didn't appealing. Play it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm 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 rewards driven, or at least progression driven, when it comes to most games. You know, I I like uh like Rocket League, right? I love Rocket League to death. I only really play it uh when I log on and play with a buddy. I never play it solo. But even when that happens, I'm never interested in like the you know, limited time fun events and stuff like that, like, or like the alternate game modes. Uh, because to me, um, I much prefer, unless there's a reward attached, I much prefer to kind of hone my craft on whatever the normal game mode is, right? Um, that's why, like, I don't really play a whole lot of arena, even though I find arena fairly fun. And I mean, I actually consider myself to be an excellent drafter. Um, I actually have a pretty strong, you know, lifetime record of, uh drafting in tournaments like in for, for paper card games i have a pretty strong drafting record like i was one of the people that in my uh slightly larger old legend of the five rings play group was like kind of feared in drafting you know um and both of the major i say major they weren't like worlds or anything but both of the like regional level versus system events that i uh won uh, each had a drafting top eight. Like you made the cut and then you drafted and I won both of those through the drafting. So like, I think I'm pretty good at drafting. I like drafting, but in this game, it's not really, and, and even in Tassel and, and, and Hearthstone, like, yeah, you can get some rewards. I just think it's not overwhelmingly, it doesn't, it, the rewards are never so great, at least now that you don't get champions <laughs> from the uh, expedition. Sure. 
Uh, they're never so great that I feel like it's worth spending the time not honing my ranked ladder or not even ranked ladder, but standard game mode craft, like getting better at constructed. And that's kind of how I've always thought about, like, especially in Tesla, like I'd rather play on the ladder uh, or casual, but experimenting with a new constructed deck. I, I just tend to like prefer to play whatever the normal baseline format is and just get keep getting better at the base format as opposed to experimenting with other formats, even though I appreciate them. Yeah, if you look at how many expedition tokens I have, you will notice that I have the exact number that you could have gotten from weekly vaults since they quit giving guaranteed champions in your gauntlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, like I, I haven't gone back to now. I did play a couple of labs because I they were re, they were reward oriented for me because two times in the last couple of days I got the quest for fifteen hundred experience to win a lab, and that made me go back and play them again. Um, so I played a oh, couple. Yeah. A gauntlet this weekend. I tried to go with the. It was singleton again, and what you know, we all we've talked about this before. Ga- weekends are not easy for the two of us because of work, um, in our right. work schedule and in our lives, and so it was really hard for me. I did play another singleton gauntlet run. Um, I played the uh, the mid range uh, frail yard. Uh, with Bilgewater that you had talked about and did really enjoy that. It, it was a lot of fun. It did really well. I got pretty shafted sort of towards the end. I think I went five or six wins. Um, and then, and then towards the end, I just kind of got, I got r- really unlucky and my opponent got pretty lucky, which is why I don't really care for things like singleton. I like playing singleton against non singleton decks because yes. it's like a challenge for me. Like I'm taking a singleton deck onto the ladder and just trying it out. I enjoy that. I don't like singleton events because there's so much more luck involved in getting the right cards, getting the right curve, getting the right draw that I every time I lose when I lose a normal game of cards I don't typically think wow that was really bad luck especially in Legends of Runeterra because it very rarely is um there's usually something that I can come down to and say well okay I could have done this differently that differently in the singleton gauntlet I found every time I lost I was like well they just had really good luck that was my immediate I don't know if that was true but that was my immediate reaction because their car well that and in labs to a certain extent because the cards are completely random in labs but I knew that that was a clown fiesta right like I knew that's what it was with the singleton gauntlet like I had crafted my deck and it was just like well you know I just didn't get the champion you know I just didn't get the one copy of that champion that I that I needed in this game and they did or something and and I think that's a little bit frustrating for me singleton gauntlet it was like something like, okay I've, I've played it twice and I just wasn't super interested from there um so I didn't try it again um but you know it was a different way to play and I enjoy having a different button to click on other than you know just the play button so that's a good thing yeah for sure and I mean like I think that's where like the gauntlets aren't going to be for everybody every week. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to more gauntlets of different types. It'd be cool to do like a pauper gauntlet, you know, where you only get to use uh, commons and rares. That could be fun, you know, which is one of our questions in the podcast Q and a this week. Oh, Okay, so I should shut up. Then. Well, you don't have to shut up. I'm gonna say that. Well, okay, I'll talk about the deck Same. that I played. This yeah, yeah, yeah. Week, Tell us about that fun. I just decided I saw that, you know, on the, oh, my, up, oh, up! Oh, we destroyed my everything chair, my, here on no, the my, show. Mm, Every, everything <laughs> is falling apart. Yeah, uh, no, I got it fixed. Oh, we're okay, good. perfect. We're good. We're good. <laughs> we're not editing that out. That's staying in. This is That's real life, guys. This podcast whoa, is about real life. Whoa. Yeah. 
so what with um what were you playing this week the deck that you were messing around yeah 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 yeah. yeah. so what with seeing the uh balance notes patch notes uh i guess from last week and them saying hey here's some, some things that you know you should be expecting going forward uh, I was like, well, that's cool. I like that they're uh, going to do something with discard. So let me play some discard. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, so I played a all-in synergy, not probably very good uh, discard uh, aggro deck uh, with Noxus and PNZ. Jinx Draven, I'm running literally three copies of every single card that benefits from getting discarded. Um, mm. So... Three flame chompers, three sump or not well the sump dredgers discard, but uh three flame chompers, three jury rigs, three visions. Uh and then I'm running yep. um the sump dredgers, I'm running the Zonite Urchins, you know, uh and then I'm also running the augmented experimenters at the top. And I tell you what, um, you know, I kind of I would split games. I played about five games with it, uh on in standard or casual. And I would split games with it, but it was cool because I actually felt like I could get pretty wide on the board with the jury rigs and the flame chompers. So I put the arena battle casters in to make sure that those would get a little bit stronger on the attack. Uh, and the vision, of course, helps with that as well. That's the three cost burst spell when cast or discarded, grant all allies plus one attack. Yep. Um, and then Brothers Bond was also great when you have a wide board and they can't block everything, even if some of your stuff is pretty small. Uh, you can you can do that. So I, I just had a ton of fun with it. Get excited, you know, uh, rummages, keeps your deck thinning. And then it's pretty easy to get Jinx triggered when you draw Jinx with this deck. Uh, so getting Jinx leveled up is always a blast, and literally. Uh, An Augmented Experimenter is just... He almost he spoiler, but he almost he almost made my list for underappreciated cards. And I think once the discard stuff gets ramped up just even a little bit the experimenter is going to be seeing some good good play because this guy's a a beast if you build around discard just an absolute g i love him oh, so much he is he's game ending oh yeah like i he and it's so fun to play be like oh man there goes all my cards i'm gonna draw three like there goes my lack of a hand let me just draw three deal three what so good Oh, and then and, and sometimes it's not even like there goes my lack of a hand. Like there goes me putting stuff on the board that I now don't have to pay for. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And I'm gonna draw three, and I'm gonna deal three, and I'm gonna put a three three body on the board. It's so fun. I I I've been mm -hmm. adoring this deck, even though it, again it's not great. Um, but I kind of did go in with like the go wide, so I put like house spiders in just to you know, again a go wide get damage in. And actually, what was funny is that the amount of refill was pretty pretty solid. You know, I felt like I could keep my hand between Jinx and the experimenter. I could keep my hand fairly full. Like, I, it wasn't where, like, I mean, there was a couple games where, like, you just draw poorly and you don't see Jinx. You don't see the experimenter. And then you do run out of cards. But, you know, uh, it was a lot of fun. And Draven is not the best uh, in it, actually. Like, surprisingly, hmm. I thought Draven would be a little bit better. Um, but he fills the gap nicely, and the quick attack is just um, so strong that him being him not synergizing quite as well with discard as I would probably like it, if only because like sometimes you just want to discard the spells. You don't really want to cast the spells and discard something else that's more important. Uh, and getting him leveled up kind of feel felt a little silly sometimes, where instead of using the buff 
uh, from the axes on something that could take a that could force a trade or trick a trade was typically better uh, than buffing Draven just to get the level up. But still, regardless, uh, it, it's a lot of fun, and and I. I intend to be playing more with it, even though, like I said, it's not that good. I think one of the traps with Draven is is leveling him up, right? I think one of the draws for him in a discard deck is that he puts a card in your hand that you don't have to care about discarding for another card, right? That, like, exactly. He's yeah. he almost puts like discard fodder in your hand that allows you to to throw something away. Um, the I think I think sometimes leveling him up is good, but oftentimes I think that leveling him up is actually a, a bit of a trap. Well, if only because you have to commit other cards. And, like, there's there are times when, like, I can level them up and it's not something of the world because I'm discarding a Flame Chomper and stuff like that. But usually by the time Draven hits the board, by the time you get those, uh, whatever they're called, you're, like, ready to use the axes to... Uh, or you've already probably gotten your Flame Chompers and whatnot discarded. Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, this this week I played. Uh, I had a I had a quest to do overwhelm, and I was like, mm-hmm. you know, something I really wanted to be messing around with was Avaros and Outriders, which is the four mana three three um, allegiance that grants a top ally of your deck plus three plus three and overwhelm from Freljord. So I was like, I kind of want to try that out. So I, I was like, okay, I mean, it has overwhelm. I have to play with overwhelm. So let me and, and I had not messed with Braum really since the rework. So I was like, let me try a mono deck because I have never crafted a mono deck before either and actually played it so i played mono Freljord that did uh Freljord stuff right like beefy stuff a little bit of deck buffing um a lot of overwhelm and then some yetis you know some not mm. like strong yetis but like the yeti yearling right that that, that puts two in your deck and then uh the avaros and trapper that puts one in the top three cards of your deck so it ran some yetis um it ran uh, it, it ran basically stuff with overwhelm um even the uh the scar maiden reaver which is a five mana four five with overwhelm and regeneration i gave that card a tryout and of course at the top end sejuani and tusk raider it's really a pretty aggressive mid but mid-range list like it's a mid-range list that's on the aggressive side like it wants to curve out but it's not gonna really want to go past six other than tusk raider um, mm. and, and that's when that's just sort of like to end the game against more controlly decks that just, you know, can't, can't really deal with, you know, a six, six kindly tavern keeper, you know, coming mm-hmm. down and stuff. And so, yeah. uh, I, I actually did fairly well with it. It wasn't a bad deck. Um, and, uh, it is, it is pretty bonker. Like the Avaros and Outriders, when it does go off, can be pretty bonkers. Like, you know, I had, I had it one time go off and, you know, the next turn, I believe, I dropped a uh, was like a four eight Brom um, because I hit I hit Brom with him. So it's a four eight Brom with Challenger, Overwhelm, and Regen, um, and that was pretty <laughs> strong. Like that was pretty strong. I'm not gonna lie. Um, pretty hard to come back from that because he's he's so hard to get rid of to begin with, and he you know, he just became so strong, so defensive. Um, I uh, I really I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed that. So that was the deck that I checked out this week. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad that you found a couple of decks that you or a deck that you enjoyed, even if it wasn't great this week, DBN. Yeah, and I mean, if it, it for me, if it even wins like half of the the games, I'm usually pretty happy. You know, with a deck if it's just for fun. You know, I'm not stressing about how strong it is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, as long as you're enjoying it, you know, it's it's exactly. not something that you want to go on the ladder and play and grind games trying to rank up with, right? But if you're just 
you know, jumping on and having fun. That's, that's different, you know. That's yeah. That's the whole. That's the whole point of it, you know. The other thing about this deck that I made, this mono deck, I just realized has three spells in it. Three. <laughs> it is. It is all creatures, and I'm even trying to see. Oh, it has three Fury of the North. That's it. There. This is not in. This is not like an Ash deck. This is Brom Sichuani. It doesn't run any real combat tricks. It's like I don't need combat tricks if all my stuff curves out bigger than your stuff, um, and. A lot of my stuff has overwhelm, so that's the other side of it that was really strong. So, yeah, that that was that was a lot of fun. Um, I, overwhelm is overwhelm is just such a fun keyword to like build decks around. I think. I agree. Yeah, I think overwhelm was very fun, a very fun keyword to build deck around, and I you know frailure does it well. Do you, I, I'm thinking though. Do you want to uh, do you want to move on from banter in our weeks in LOR and? What do you say we do you want to d- jump into the winner of this week's decking deck name game that we have? Let's do it. <laughs> I guess you can win them all. Okay, guys, so deck name game. This is something we introduced last week. We said we want you to come into our Discord. We want you to go into the deck name game under the Legends of Runeterra discussion or Runeterra discussion channel. And we want you to uh, give us your deck. So you need to, I don't know, there's like a, a, a symbol and then you put deck in the deck code and it will give us the deck. And then also give us the name. And each week we are going to talk about one deck and um, we're going to say that that's the winner of this week's deck naming game because we think it's fun so uh dba why don't you tell us this week's deck name game winner yeah so uh this week for our deck name game uh we there was a lot of good competitors some 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 strong competition uh but i think we decided on um the deck from shrek bastion uh which is called red vines after the candy i knew what red vines were but but i am admittedly we're twiz- we're Twizzler guys, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can respect the uh, the effort here. Red vines because it is a uh, it is a overgrown snap vine deck that is also uh, splashing Noxus, hence the red vines. Uh, it was not only is the uh, not only is the name fun and thematic, but the deck is really cool too. Um, and that's kind of what broke the tie with a couple other strong uh, strong naming conventions was that this was I think one of the more like kind of interesting uh uh lists and there's a lot of really really cool stuff in there so i don't know did you want to kind of talk about the list and see what you liked about it or uh, yeah i mean i mean right so this 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 list kind of does uh you know really the i mean it, it's it's pretty simple in the fact that it, it can win the game it has it's running elise and malachi and that's one of the things that i love most about it because this is the only deck that really runs that i've seen that's really run malachi intentionally that wasn't a second win condition for deep decks right so this is saying like no we legitimately want enough stuff to die this isn't focused around toss this is focused mm-hmm. around we're gonna have enough stuff that's gonna die and uh and and so what it's kind of its goal is sort of like let's it has an aggressive early game with the spider package right so you have you know house spider uh legion uh grenadier arachnoid sentry um you have which is interesting because i think there's one hapless aristocrat is not in this deck which is super surprising to me because that would have been like a a 
a deck a card that I would have assumed would have been in it. Um, but then mm-hmm. it also is like so it's, it's getting that aggressive sort of faster early game, and then it also has some of like a little bit of like a top end. So you got Withering Whale, you got Vengeance, Intimidating Roar in this deck, Grasp of the Undying. So you got some more controlly stuff that's really trying to take you to Nevergade Collector and Overgrown Snapvine, which is basically saying I'm going to play cheap spiders and small stuff in order to sack them to deal damage to you and heal myself with Nevergate Collector and then use Overgrowed Snapvine to continually summon, I believe it summons more and more four threes and kind of create a situation that you can't deal with. Um, you know, I kind of expected, like I said, I'm surprised Hapless Aristocrat isn't in here because Hapless Aristocrat and Overgrown Snapvine are very cool together. Um, but uh, it, it's in, you know, it even runs like Vision. It's trying to make a really wide, swarmy board, but then also say, like, okay, if we get to the late game, Overgrown Snapvine can reestablish a new, more beefy board for me if need be. And because this deck doesn't have ice, this game doesn't have Ice Storm in it, um, uh, Overgrown Snapvine is not bad. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if Ice Storm was in this game, forget it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's nothing really huge to talk about with it, other than I think it was, out of all the decks that we had, I liked the name, and it's probably one of the more creative and unique decks that I've seen. Yeah, so between the two, between the two, that's kind of what, where we ended up with it. Yeah, so it, it's really cool. So uh, that's awesome, uh, Shrek Bastion. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And uh, And, you know, hey guys, keep submitting your decks into that deck name game. And you got to join our Discord to be able to do that. So join our Discord. There is a link you can copy, cut, and paste in the show notes to join the Discord. And then uh, you can also join in in the weekly, hopefully weekly, deck name game competition. So keep building decks. Keep coming up with fun and creative names. And I'm sure when we get a new expansion of cards, we will see a whole new surge of of new decks i wanted to do like honorable mentions but i'm thinking maybe we should hold off and wait and see what other decks we get submitted first because yeah we'll, no, we'll go back sure. to previous weeks we, yeah we will you know if the, and uh but i i think i thought that was just a fun little quick easy uh thing that might give you guys some uh some fun ideas and also some some good some good jokes for everybody so uh thanks for tuning in for that segment on to the next segment Let's boogie. Yeah, let's talk about uh, let's talk about our top five cards, our list, our top five cards that we think are not appreciated enough or, or underappreciated. That's the that's the conversation for tonight. We want we want to do some of these lists because these list things are fun and, and you know what? Honestly, it's our own podcast listening, uh, you know, vices, right? Like we like lists too. So, yeah, yeah, like, like one of my favorite things is uh, uh, in, a, in a podcast uh, is when they it was when people do top five lists. I just like to see what people think about it, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. You know, one of my favorite podcasts for a long time was board. It wasn't board game geek. It's Dice Tower. It's a Dice Tower podcast and it's a board game, a tabletop gaming podcast. And they have done a top 10 list on basically every episode for like 200 some episodes, a different top 10 list. 
That's pretty cool. That's insane. Like, that's their thing. Their thing is top 10 lists. So, yeah, I think it's really cool to do. So, if you have suggestions for, like, top five lists, that because I think we're going to do five, top five lists that you would want to see us talk about, um, you can always mm-hmm. also post that in the podcast Q&A section, and that would give us uh, helpful ideas for top five lists that we can make. Um but this one came from DBN, so I'm going to let him start it off and explain it a little bit and then and then give us what his first card is on the top five list. Well, there's not much really to explain. Um, no, deep the... details. Okay, well, so I was <laughs> sitting at my desk at work, and Mark texts me and says, what, what, the, what are we doing? What are we doing tonight? What, what is what, going what's going on? on? What is what's, happening? What's happening? And I said, all right, let's do a top five list. And I was like, well... That's probably not very helpful. I should maybe come up with some ideas for top five lists. And so the one we ended up stepping on was top five uh, unappreciated or underappreciated cards. And we kind of, you can kind of go any way you want with that. One of the things that I like about top five lists, you can kind of, even if you have like that, that broad, you know, okay, it's top five underappreciated cards. Um, you can kind of take it in different directions that however you, uh, or whatever you're interested in. So I decided uh, there's, even though there's seven factions, I was going to pick a different card uh, from each faction. So, like, I wasn't going to double up uh, within a faction. So I was going to pick one card from five different factions. And even though I had some honorable mentions uh, from from other other factions, these were the – well, I, I've got the five. We'll kind of go back and forth, I think. Uh, but, uh, yeah, un- underappreciated or unappreciated cards. And the, the thought here is not no one – it's not a, It's not this card is bad. It's not no one plays this card. It's simply – uh, these cards are cards that we look at and we think that they're that they deserve maybe a little more play uh, or potentially they need a little more credit in the decks that they do feature in. Um, so uh, so yeah, well, do you want do you want me to do my first one or do you want to do your first one first? I, I can do my first one first. I'm, I'm gonna leave my I have one champion. I'm gonna leave him for end for the last one. Oh, for um, last? okay well let's see which one do I want to leave for last? It's hard, hard to make a uh, choice. Okay, I got it. Okay. Uh, so which one are you doing first? Okay, I'm going to go with um, my first one I picked, not because it doesn't see play, but because I think it is a workhorse card of the faction that it's in, um, and I think it is really, really strong, very difficult to play against, um, and I just think it is, I, I just really think that it's a workhorse card that isn't seeing much conversation, and that card is Hired Gun from Bilgewater. It is a 2-mana mm-hmm. 2-3. It is a commons. So it's really easy to get your hands on. When I'm summoned, grant strongest, the strongest enemy vulnerable, and usually what this reads is play 2-mana uh, 2-3, grant your enemy's creature vulnerable, because oftentimes they only have a creature on the board and you can kind of pick up a preferable trade. Sometimes you can get this on their on their one drop and you can pick it up on their omen hawk, which you might think might not be a very big deal, but now you get to trade into their omen hawk and then maybe block their two drop and trade and get two two trades, right? You're gonna be able to block their, their one drop and their kill their one drop and their two drop with your two drop. Um, sometimes it's able to pick up their three to Zed, for example, and trade into Zed when they would never normally block with Zed and when they were attacking, they would have first strike. Um, there are a lot of times when hired gun or sometimes later in the game, they have a Heimerdinger or something on the board which that's a bad example because Heimer's never the most powerful creature on the board. But let's say they have a Callista on the board in which they're never going to block with that Callista because she's leveled up and they're always going to attack with her. And if you can hit her with the vulnerable, you're able to take one of your bigger creatures that you already have on the board with board presence and crack that Callista and kill it. Um, And so I think that Hired Gun is a very underappreciated card because for a two drop, it is very good on two. 
it it remains um, oftentimes very strong. It's a little situational. It's not great against a board that's going to go really wide and you need to get rid of, let's say, a Heimerdinger, which was the example I gave earlier. It was a really bad one. So it's not going to be able to get rid of things like the Heimerdinger, but it's going to be able to get rid of things like the Vi often that's in the deck, you know, um, that you, you want to be able to, you know, you don't want them to take the preferable trade against one of your smaller things. You want to be able to kill it. So I personally am a big, big fan of Hired Gun. Every time I go and I make a deck with Bilgewater in it, Hired Gun goes in because it has a way of solidifying the early game which Bilgewater really needs right now um, because Bilgewater actually doesn't have the worst like mid to late game in uh, in the the giant T-Rex with cannons on his back um, but uh, but the early game sometimes Bilgewater can struggle a little bit with the cards that it has and I think Hired Gun fills that gap in pretty well so that's my first underappreciated card Hired Gun love it and uh, as you know, when we were first uh, kind of coming up with our list this evening, that was one that, that was the only one that we shared. So I picked a new one. Yeah. Uh, but I picked a new one that was on brand uh, with my hired gun selection nice. uh, because my bouncing off that simple concept, uh, that first one that I have is the Razor Scale Hunter. Yep. Uh, so the Razor Scale Hunter is one that I swore up and down when we kind of looked at the set that I thought was going to be very, very strong. And you know what? Um, I mean, I haven't quite been wrong, uh, but I also haven't quite been right in that I don't think people are really playing this one very much. You I, see it occasionally. Very rarely, though. Um, but I tell you what, uh, I played this in my uh, Singleton uh, Gauntlet. Oh, yeah. It was like MVP status alongside with hired gun, by the way, uh, MVP status. Um, and the more I think about it, the more I think this is perfect for the environment that we're in. When Heimerdinger is uh, popular, when that wants to sit back on the back row and never engage in conflict. Um, yeah, challenger is pretty strong, but also giving vulnerable can be really great too, especially if you're building a deck whereby you have good creatures that you want taking trades, uh, you know, primarily something like, uh, you know, oh, I don't know, something big <laughs> sure. is the bottom line. But Razor Scale Hunter, and that's the cool thing about Vulnerable, too, is that, like, you target the creature, and then any of your creatures can go after it, um, which is one of the things that obviously makes it a very strong keyword, um, albeit one that, like, after that creature dies, it's no longer there, which is why Challenger is also good in that, you can if you can that creature can live they can challenge multiple things right yeah um it also has scout so it's a five mana four four it has scout it has grant to enemy vulnerable what i really like about this card is that unlike hired gun you get to choose any target it's not automatically dictated um and uh the scout is nice too because if you can if there's something like say a heimerdinger that you want to uh take out racer scale hunter is perfect for that because you can throw vulnerable on the heimerdinger uh, and then swing first with the scout, get the trade, or if they buff out of it, you still have a second conflict, and the Heimerdinger is still vulnerable. Yeah. Um, the vulnerable hasn't gone away just because they tricked the trade and killed the Razor Scale Hunter. Um, so I really love that. Uh, this is definitely a kind of, a, I think, maybe a meta counter sort of card, but one that I'm, I'm a little surprised we haven't seen a little bit more of. Uh, I think Bilgewater might not be in the best position, which, and, and again, they don't always have, they kind of have a lot of decks that are already sort of solved, wherein they're not running a lot of good stuff decks. They're very heavy on synergy when we see uh, Bilgewater lists that are, are 
stronger bilge rudder list. They don't quite, they're not quite in the position of like a frail yard uh, or a Demacia where they're just playing raw, good creatures and kind of curving out, which is, I think the situation that razor scale hunter would be ideal in. Uh, but yep. That's my first underappreciated card. Razor scale hunter vulnerable is very strong. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a good... It, I'm surprised it hasn't seen more play because we are seeing so much in Elusives and in Heimerdinger right now and, uh, and in Aggro, and this card can target that stuff, and it lands at about the right time for the Heimerdinger decks, at least. I mean, at the right time. Um, my number two is... Uh, I might pronounce this wrong. Jol? Is that the name? Jol? Jol? Jol uh, Hunters? It's either Jol or Yol. Sometimes Yol the Hunters? J will be a Y depending on the Y'all hunters. Uh, it is a three mana four one with challenger that when summoned create a random sea monster in hand. This card is the reason this card made my list is because I always forget to put this card in deep decks. This card is not good really probably many other places. Occasionally it might be, but it generally is not. If it had a mechanic similar to Hearthstone's Discover mechanic that shows you three and you get to choose one, it would be better, right? If it was a three mana four one challenger, discover a sea monster, then you could pick a sea monster that was more unique to your scenario, but a, like a four mana four four sea monster, which it sometimes is going to give you, is never going to be good where you might want the one that, you know, obliterates something, for example. So it's not as good as it could be however in the context of the deep decks this this card i don't think is good outside of it but in the context of deep decks this card is a real workhorse mostly because it's a 4-1 with challenger which is going to force your opponent to have to deal with it and it replaces itself by putting one of those sea monsters in your hands so it's going to say okay i am going to help myself take command of the board or come back on the board with this three mana 4-1 challenger which I honestly think a 3-mana 4-1 challenger isn't bad, period. But then because it also puts a sea monster in your hand, which synergizes with your deep deck, I think that this card is a really important card in deep decks, specifically. And I think it is one of the cards that's underappreciated in that deep deck. You kind of look at the other cards, like things like uh, Nautilus and things like the guy who puts treasures in your deck or the treasures of the deep card or the big sea monster boat that buffs everything and I think those cards get more attention um, even like the three mana three two with uh, that tosses three and has life steal um, gets mm -hmm. more attention to this I think that the that this the y'all hunters is a really good a really good three drop in that specific deck um and i think it, it's kind of a workhorse that holds at, at a point where deep is weak because the early turns deep is weak in a, in a in a in a turn when deep is weak this card battles for board for you in a good way to be able to remove something bigger on your opponent's side and also continues to put sea monsters in your deck so if you get it later it's also really strong remove something later in the game with it that's a troublesome thing that you can't get them to block with and at the same time you're putting a sea monster in your deck if you're already deep that thing's of course massive so um you know you get a couple of the the, the secrets of the deep or the treasures of the deep whatever the card is that lowers the cost of the sea monsters by one and you're starting to put discounted sea monsters in your hand um so that's my second one uh y'all hunters yeah I, I like that too because um I think one of the things that that has made it so good for me uh, is that in my deep deck, I don't run the lore of the deep or whatever it's called. I um, So I don't run the discounting thing, um, but that's because uh, the build that I'm running has a lot less uh, or a lot more like kind of removal and a lot more like 
uh, defensive stuff yeah. um, to hopefully get to that late game and not have been smorked down by something aggressive. Uh, so what y'all hunters allows me to do is run something that's defensive in that you can go and challenge something and remove it, um, in place of running a top end, um, sea monster. So you can, it allows you to not run as many sea monsters because that's the struggle, right? Is that like, if you play with put, if you put too many sea monsters in, you draw dead hands a lot in the early game. So y'all hunter basically says, I am a sea monster in your hand but I'm also like affordable in the early game and also can help you survive to the point where your sea monsters come down. So it just lets you run less sea monsters. It's a great card. And one that I think you're right. Like, I don't think people uh, show the love yeah. for that one. Yeah. They're not saying it. Yeah. They're not saying it. I am. Yeah. Hey, what's your second one? Well, now I have a pretty con I mean, I mean, I don't know if it's controversial, just a completely dark horse one here and it mm -hmm. might even be a bad card, but I've actually, played it in some decks and uh, really loved it and felt like it was a winning, a card that helped me win. Uh, so that's Fresh Offerings. Fresh Offerings. Uh, it's a three mana slow spell. If three plus allies have died this round, summon Vile Maw. Vile Maw is a 6-6 six, six with Fearsome. This is, a this is my Shadow Isles card. Um, so I feel like this card is underappreciated or perhaps not appreciated virtually at all uh, because it can only really go in spiders yeah. and the crazy thing the, the thing about spiders is the spiders are very like contested there's so many things that could go in spiders that would be good right so the decks the deck slots are stacked you know you have to find room for anything you want to put in the deck um but what i found is uh i really liked playing this in a build that was all like kind of heavy fearsome um so really trying to stomp that early game where they can't defend against a whole lot of things um but there's a lot of times when uh playing spiders they uh are able to put down enough things to clear three plus creatures or they play a withering whale or they play an avalanche right mm -hmm. or they play an ember maiden there's enough cards now that can kind of wipe several things out uh and fresh offerings being a albeit uh a situational like you can't play it just any turn but in those turns where when normally you're pressuring through going wide, they are able to punish it. You flip the script and summon a three mana six, six with fearsome. Um, to me, that felt like such a great, powerful way to refill the board that now makes these kind of go wide strategy multifaceted. It's kind of like a scuttlegeist in that way, uh, in that you're uh, you start with going real wide and then all of a sudden you're able to, to put go I'm wide and you know for half my board, but then I have a couple beefcakes too, uh, and force them to not get as many value trades on your cheap guys because they have to defend your big guys with their bigger guys. Um, so fresh offerings, I don't think is ever a card you run three copies of, but one or two have gone in pretty much every spider deck I've ever built, and I've never regretted it. Um, so yeah, fresh offerings. Um, also, I I'm just a fan of playing uh, cards that are like that people like generally aren't playing. And this is also one of those cards that I feel like because people aren't playing it, people aren't prepared for it. They don't expect it. They expect crawling sensation sure. You know, for sure. But they don't really expect this. And sometimes that surprise factor can really throw people for a loop. And also Viomaw is just dope art. So yeah, it is. Like, look at that giant freaking throwing spider. A, throwing thing. a wagon or something. Yeah, it looks like a it looks like a Zerg more than anything else. It's pretty cool. You know? It's pretty cool. Uh so so anyways, that that's my second one, fresh offerings.
Okay, my third is actually a champion spell. Um, my third is uh, is a card that I think has seen play at different times. It's a really good board removal card, but is uh, is not seeing really play right now, and I think there's a couple reasons for that. We'll talk about it. Mine is uh, the box. This is a four mana fast spell in uh, in Shadow Isles. It uh, reads deal three damage to each enemy that was summoned this round. Um, it uh, it is also the other the flip side of Thresh, right? If you have a Thresh on the board, you get another Thresh in hand. You will get a copy of the box. Um, the reason why I think this card is actually really good is for two reasons: Heimerdinger um, and uh, and Crimson Disciple. Um, and those are the two reasons that I think this card is really good. It does three damage, which is very important against Crimson Disciple in some of the aggro decks that are going out there and some of the burn decks that are out there right now. It deals with almost every single elusive as long as it doesn't get hit by a really big buff. Um, but it deals with a lot of elusives that have been hit by things like Omen Hawk. It deals with every single turret that could get placed. So if your opponent has Heimerdinger on the board and goes off, even with a leveled up Heimerdinger, and looks like you're just passing, you don't have anything to do, your opponent's filling the board full of a whole bunch of turrets that they got because, you know, they played a bunch of spells on your attack and survived, you can now use the box to be able to, you know, remove a whole bunch of their turrets. I know why the box hasn't seen a lot of play, and that is because a lot of the games that we have been playing have been pretty board contested, right? But I think that the box is a really good card um, and a sleeper card in some of the more sort of frail yard shadow isle control stuff and i think it is a meta card as well it goes really well in decks uh, in a in a season when we're seeing a lot of aggressive strategies um and also we're seeing a uh you know heimerdinger any, anything that's really flooding the board a lot in one turn if we're in a situation where there's a deck that wants to flood the board a lot in one turn um spider meta uh, heavy uh, you know aggro meta um, and then I, I really do think that the Heimerdinger turrets, that's the, the, the one I think of the most because the Heim, this does clear Heimer if they play it, but then it also does clear all of the turrets if they fill their board full of turrets, which are fleeting, so they have to play them on the turn that they generate them. And so that's my card. I don't, this is probably the one that I'm the least confident about being strong, but I think the box is an unsung hero. I can see that. And we've even talked about that in the past that like we you look at the box and you're like, hmm, maybe I put this in my deck. I haven't yet, but but maybe. Maybe someday I'll I'll decide to put it in my deck. I've had it in a couple, but I think the wrong I've had it in the wrong couple. Hmm. I've had it in the that's wrong a, That's couple. a fair point. I think a lot of the cards we're bringing up are with well, not all of them, but some of them are cards that don't see play and we're arguing not that they should see play as like a staple but rather that maybe people should take a look at them for the specific scenarios they're designed for uh, and that's kind of what the attitude behind this next card for me is which is uh suit up um now i know that suit up is played uh in a lot of fizz decks i know it's occasionally seen play uh in some aggro decks but i've had a lot of fun with suit up and i feel like i never really see it on the ladder i don't really see people talking about it um i've actually adored suit up in a pnz shadow isles spider build um because you know nothing feels better than making your one one spider a four four for two mana um especially when you have the draw engines from like glimpse beyond and, and you're you're kind of cycling in, enough um 
you know, I think you can reliably get suit up. And even at four mana, sometimes later in the game with you have some spell mana banked, four mana isn't um, unheard of for a plus three, plus three permanent buff that you're putting on a spider. Sure. Uh, you know, it's even, uh, sometimes it can be really nice to trick a trade. Even though that's not the getting the max value, you're still putting on a high value target that's able to now survive a trade. Um, and so yeah, suit up has been a really, really cool one for me. It's also nice if you have, uh, it's, it's pretty cool actually with, uh, with Braum, uh, suit up can be really oh, interesting yeah. with Braum making him a four, four instead of a, a one, five. Um, and he was, he was even better back when he was a zero five. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, I, I really do appreciate, uh, suit up, um, for sure. I just think, um, uh, I think we could stand to see that a little bit more, although admittedly it's not going to be good in a lot of go like going tall decks. It's, it's more for like the, the weenie decks the go wide decks, you know, but, um, yeah, suit up. That's my, that's my third selection you know at this point suit up is just in a deck that's running one ones mm -hmm. right is arguably just better than standalone which is a four mana burst give something plus three plus three but you have to have exactly one creature where suit up would do the exact same thing to a one one but you don't have to have just one creature on the board mm -hmm. it's, it's i yeah, i i adored i i think it's uh i think it's a little underused i think that might have to do with it being in pnc as opposed to if this was in like noxus if this was in um shadow isles naturally i think it might see play just by nature of you know like when you're running shadow isle spiders like a lot of times you, you don't naturally gravitate towards pnc shadow isles sure Although this is definitely a great card to make the argument for that so i i i uh, i do i i have a lot of fun with this one i've i've built several decks with this card specifically in mind so i think a lot of you uh might uh might you know, give this one a try. If you find something that works really well, let me know because I'm, I'm a I'm a fan. The next one might not be as low key, but my fourth one is the Leviathan. Leviathan is the eight mana five eight overwhelm from Noxus that plays uh, reads dr play draw Swain start of round deal three deal one damage to the enemy Nexus three times, which of course with leveled up Swain is going to stun three back row enemies at the beginning of each round as well. But it also just pings away. I think that this card is the most powerful of the boats, right? So we have um, the uh, the one that summons uh we have one for sort of like uh, sea monsters we have the one that summons gangplank the one that summons swain the one that summons sejuani and the one that summons misfortune to your hand and i think out of all of those the leviathan is the best and i think that once noxus gets a tweak or a few more tools that work it towards maybe more of a mid-range going leaning heavily towards control right like a more controlly centric uh mid-range deck that leviathan could be a really oppressive game ending card there's been a couple of times that i've played against it before where i played against a deck like that and granted they didn't have all the tools that they needed um but once leviathan came down if i don't have a good answer to that uh it's just absolutely game ending um, you know, the cards just pinging away at your life with Swain on the board. This is leveling up him. If he's already on the board leveled up, it's basically just a game win. It's a five, eight. So it's not easy to get rid of. It has overwhelm. Plus it's putting the Swain in your hand from your deck. There's a lot of things going on with the Leviathan. And I think this is a low key, really powerful card in Noxus that if Noxus was in a slightly different place and aggro wasn't quite as strong for it right now, that we would see a lot more of this card. I actually saw Bruised by God playing this card 
and I, I think I'm pretty sure it was Bruce by God playing this card and messing around with it and um, it, it it can be really it can be really strong and if you get more than one of them on the board six damage every turn woo. yeah I think people forget that by the time it comes down three damage going at the face is like crazy relevant like that that's three damage that just went to, that's like get excited to the face that you just took yep you yeah. know yeah I, I completely agree I can completely agree with that uh it is it, it it can push for it can just push for that little bit of lethal at the end that you need um in in that build so yeah leviathan's my number four what's your number four uh so my number four is going to be the icy yeti and i'll admit i don't have a lot to back this one up it's a bit of a stretch uh I, and it's a bit of a kind stretch it's kind of wondering is <laughs> It's a bit of a stretch, okay, because, like, uh, I haven't messed around with him too much. But I've played him in a ton. I played him a ton in Expedition when I used to play Expedition, which, as we established earlier in the episode, hasn't been recently. Um, I've also uh, kind of toyed around with him a little bit as, like, a top end in a Yeti build. Um, and you know what's kind of wild about this guy um, when you get to the higher tier of um, higher costed characters, you know, the stats tend to fall off a little bit. They don't scale quite as dramatically as the early game creatures. So, yeah, five five is not a ton for a seven drop. And yeah, if I if I I feel like I could make a good case for, hey, I think Icy Yeti should get a stat increase. I think I could make a good case for that. Um, but regardless, you know, it's kind of wild um, how often frostbiting enemies of three or less health is still relevant at uh, turn seven and on. Um, a lot of times people take the value trades. I mean, that that's the way that, you know, uh, creatures with tall stats play. That's why you play a creature uh, with uh, higher stats is so that you can take a trade, live and take another trade. You get double value. You get double, not just like creature value, not snap value. I'm strictly talking about card to card value because a lot of people forget that in this game and in, in CCGs in general, uh, the number of cards you see in a game, the number of cards that are present in your board combined within your hand is a resource in and of itself. Right. Yeah. The the effect that the cards have is important. Yeah. Your health is a resource. Your man is a resource, but also just strictly the number of cards in your hand and on your board is a resource. So that's why people play, uh, you know, taller creatures is to be able to take advantage of that and swing that side of things. The literal number of cards that are in play and that your opponent has access to in their favor by making one card be worth two or three cards, both in fair in favor of trading, but also in favor of removal spells. You know, that's why, like, anything that's a, called a single target removal, something like Vengeance, uh, is so expensive. Because you're really killing anything it wants for an equal one-to-one -one card trade. Um, and so I see Yeti, A, um, by frostbiting things, uh, you're literally saying, okay, either I'm going to get this damage to the face or you're losing those creatures with no return on your investment mm -hmm. because they're not damaging me back. That's how frostbite works. Everyone knows that. But it's also one of those things where you think about like, oh man, how many creatures are going to actually have three less health on turn seven? Well, if your opponent has been playing a deck that's with you know bigger creatures, some of them are going to be whittled down by the time you have an Icy Yeti. They've been making 
just like you've been making smart trades. So that means if they are making smart trades, uh, they might have two or even three creatures with three or less health when this guy comes down. So he's going to get that impact. And to tell you what, if it's their attack token and they've got a grizzled ranger and they've got a damaged Garen and they've got, you know, or maybe Nick Garen's a bad example because regenerate. Uh, but if they have, you know, a, a, you know, a Fiora and they have a grizzled ranger, I see Eddie might save your bacon uh, when you drop it on their attack token. Uh, not to mention the fact that, yeah, you can then say on my attack token, I'm going to play an IC Eddie, pl you know, run in with Ash, etc., etc. So all I'm saying is, um, IC Eddie, when you look at it, you're like three or less health. This is a seven drop. What, what, why are they going to, they're going to have seven drops too. Yeah. But the creatures that are already on their board, um, if they've been playing smart and if it's a close game are likely going to have three or less health, or at least some of them will. Um, and then there's also the fact, don't forget that, um, if you if they don't have three or less health, either the game's probably out of your control, anyways, right? Where if, if sure. none of their creatures are weakened, you know, when by the time you get to seven, it's probably not a good look for you. And likewise, if they don't have any creatures, it's probably a good look for you. <laughs> if they don't have any creatures for him to frostbite, you know. So I, I think Icy Yeti maybe deserves another look from people. You know, Icy Yeti is basically the equivalent of Ash's Arrow. So Ash's Arrow is a two-mana slow spell that just draws you a card and, and frostbites one creature and then every other creature with three or less health on your opponent's board. And, I mean, obviously that's better, but you only ever get one of those, and that's when Ash levels up and it goes on the top of your deck. This is a card that could be, in specific metas, very strong in Ash decks that want a combo to win the game that's saying, okay, I need a... Sometimes you have to use that arrow that could be the combo piece to win the game you have to use it defensively on your opponent's turn to prevent them from killing you and then you don't have the card to combo with and you have to collect other frostbite cards in your hand having one ice yeti icy yeti in your deck kind of gives you the ability to have two of those arrows in your deck so after ash levels up you have her on the board you can use your arrow defensively and then on your turn you can drop icy yeti to do basically the same thing you won't be able to draw a card or deal you know, guaranteed that one target that's bigger, um, but it will stop a lot of your opponent's chump blockers from being able to block your, you know, your bigger creatures um, because it will make them, uh, you know, incapable of blocking with Ash's leveled up ability. Um, I've, I've thought about using this card before in it, it. Some of those Ash lists are pretty refined, and I think that's one of the hard parts. It's like this or harsh wins. Eh, harsh wins, um, you know, because it's burst. But uh, I think that this card could find value in specific metas in the ash decks um because i really like ash so i'm always looking for stuff like that um yeah okay, okay. My, my fifth one this is my fifth one and this is my champion this is the champion that i have played a lot of since the start of uh since the launch and the bilge water stuff came out the rising tides expansion it is one of the cards that i think is the champion that i think is um, very, very strong, but hasn't seen a tremendous amount of play, and that champion is Lee Sin. Lee Sin is probably one of my favorite champions in the game. He does compete with a lot in the six lot. You have Anivia, Darius, Hecarim, Karma, Lux, Sejuani, all in that slot with him. However, what I have found is I think that he's better than Vi in the Heimerdinger decks, and I have been playing Lee Sin Heimerdinger instead of 
Heimerdinger Vi. Um, he's another win condition, and I don't know that he's the best champion that you build around entirely. But I think in a deck that has a win condition, a, a solid win condition that runs spells, okay? A solid win condition that's running a lot of spells, which right now arguably is basically... That, that's basically Heimerdinger, right? That's their win condition. They're going to run a lot of spells. In a deck with that, Lee Sin offers an alternate way to win the game that is not easy to deal with. Um, and I have really enjoyed him. There's been a lot of games now where my, my Heimerdinger got removed or, you know, something went on where, where Heimer couldn't pull out the win against my opponent, you know, ruination or something. And Lee Sin was just able to get that, that damage through at the end of the game and deal with my opponent's creatures that were overwhelming me. Um, really, really like Lee Sin. think he's very, very strong. And I think he's probably um, one of the most underappreciated uh, champions um, especially from the Rising Tides expansion, then you may be able to argue for different ones, but um, from Rising Tides, I think he's one of the least underappreciated. So Lee Sin is my fifth and final choice. I see that's that's definitely an interesting one. I mean, I guess maybe he just maybe doesn't see as much like play at the higher level. Um, despite, I think you're right. I think he's a very good and also pretty flexible champion that can be get to the point where like he can take over a game single-handedly kind of like Sejuani in that way I guess the issue with Lee Sinan is often that he requires fuel to be played whereas like Sejuani even even like once uh you know once leveled up you know you don't really need fuel to make Sejuani good you know what I mean like getting the the tap on their face is so easy to do compared to playing two spells to get maximum value out of Lee Sin even though the Dragon's Rage obviously part you know, that's sure. still there. I, I guess. mean, I don't think I've ever played Lee Sin in my Heimer deck without him already being leveled up. By the time I dropped him, we were leveled. And the thing right. about Lee Sin is once he's leveled up, you only have to cast one spell because when he dragon rages, the a creature doesn't deal any damage to him ever. So you don't need barrier. All that you need is challenger once he's leveled up. So once sure. he's once he's leveled up, you just cast one spell and he picks up challenger. You cast a burst spell, you pick up challenger and then you can challenge something and immediately dragon rage it. Um which I found to be good. I I, I don't I'm not going to say that Sejuani isn't better. She she is. Um but you do have to build your deck in a specific way just level up Sejuani as well um, in the same way that you have to build oh, your deck and like Sejuani you need a solid set of one two and three drops in order to start getting that chip damage in early well, yeah, so that you can level her up if you want her leveled up but once again like Sejuani coming down by herself is sometimes just really strong oh absolutely i mean you know? on on and six, that's what that's sure. where like leeson at level one still requires fuel to be to, to have an effect otherwise he's a slightly understated six drop oh i think if you look at the six drops right anivia darius and hecarim and sejuani all four of those have more value unleveled up than lee sin does not leveled up yeah well Wait. darius probably not darius doesn't uh, do yeah you're right he's just a six mana six five i, I was thinking the, the only time i've ever played it against darius he has been leveled up so i was just thinking of his leveled up form okay yeah, maybe, sometimes he's just that big finisher yeah <laughs> like most things do have more value than at least and i think maybe i'm a little biased because i've been playing him in Heimerdex, and at oh, least it's almost always leveled up when i drop him on the board i'm not saying i don't agree because i do think he's unappreciated i am he actually i have barely played him 
Um, but when I have played him, I've enjoyed him, and I felt like he's strong. I've also played against him and felt like he's very strong. So why I don't see him quite as much has actually been a bit of a surprise to me. And I think it. And I'm just sitting here thinking, why is why might that be? And I think it just comes down to like he's not, he can't just go in any deck. Whereas I think Sejuani arguably could go, you just know, in most failure or... decks. Right, because she's just individually statically good. And like I think there are plenty of characters like that in each faction. Zed is just by himself very, very good. And it's okay to have those. I was just thinking about why that might why that sentiment might be there. Uh, because I think you're right. I do think uh, he's quite underappreciated. I think he's quite good. Uh, and so where's that sentiment coming from? Um, I, I guess that's it. I don't know. <laughs> so your your last one here is from the same faction, I see. That's right. We have we saved our Ionias for last, but very different. <laughs> oh, so different. Oh, so different. See, you've got the big the big boss himself there, Lee Sen, uh, and I have one of the, the one of the guys down in the trenches. Mm -hmm. All right, this one puts this, in the he's work. He's actually every in a day. tree. He's well, okay. He's down. He's up in a tree. Up in the tree working. You know, that's right. Doesn't get the doesn't get the appreciation as much, but yet the the work that this guy puts in helps the guys at the top do their job better okay it's it's a there's a there's a reason the military has a hierarchy you know and that's because down at the bottom we have our green glade lookouts to report on the enemy's position and discount our generals um green glade lookout is my underappreciated my fifth underappreciated card maybe this one's a bit of a deep pull i don't know uh but i tell you what there was a time uh, when I was playing Yasuo and I was frustrated by how expensive the important cards in the deck were. Like it was really, there was a lot of cards in the deck that like you need for the deck to function, um, but that were kind of prohibitively cost and they don't come online quite as often. Couple that with the fact that Ionia, uh, which when you're, you're running Yasuo, you typically pair Ionia and Noxus, so you can kind of get access to a lot of the other stun things there. Mm -hmm. um, Ionia doesn't really have a lot of great um, cheap creatures that aren't elusives, yeah. right? Um, and similarly, Noxus doesn't have a lot of cheap creatures that aren't aggressive. So you're kind of stuck, like, pouring through. Yeah, you pick up the, the Fey Blade Twirlers because that's just raw synergy. But then you start poking around looking for, okay, well, what else do I put in this deck that helps it get to the late game? Uh, and you you start to look for things that can, like, take good trades or slow the game down or heal. Uh, and that's where I think, like, you've seen the um, that uh, that new two-drop, Eye, uh, Eye of the Dragon, has been really slotted nicely into those decks. Mm -hmm. Um but um, that before that was a thing, before I the Dragon was really a thing, uh, Greenglade Lookout was my solution. Um, Greenglade Lookout uh, allowed me to if discount whatever the most expensive unit in my hand was, and a lot of times that'd be something like a Yone or a Minotaur Reckoner or sometimes Yasuo himself. Um, and just that ability to you know slam a Minotaur Reckoner on five instead of six, your opponents will not expect that now yeah they may see the green glade lookout if they're taking you know good notes there you know if they're paying real close attention they might say okay something up in his hand is discarded but i think i, I guarantee you like the that raw frustration and shock when minotaur reckoner gets slammed a turn early um and it's not just that it's cheaper it's not just that it allows you to bank a mana it's that it's the turns on which the things come down uh, that I think is very, very relevant. And that's how the game is balanced. The game is balanced around what types of effects are available at what turn in the game, right? And so when you can circumvent that 
and bring things down because like spells you can play at, you know, so I think spells are designed with the idea of like they can be played earlier in the game than their mana cost because of the spell mana, but units are not. And there's very little discounting. There's very little mana ramp uh, in this game. And a lot of the mana ramp that's out there isn't super good. Uh, I'm looking at you, Weirding Stones. Not um, great. Not good. So Greenglade Lookout is mana ramp. And, you know, we we just haven't seen the mana ramp be super effective. But this guy's pretty good. And because he doesn't say Nexus Strike, you know, I just he can strike on defense, get a little trade with a spider, whatever. And I think I'm still okay if they Vile Feast this guy. You know? Like, he's not... Sure. It's not... He's still a two-drop. You know, if they Vile Feast, it's a two for two. You know, you're you don't feel as terrible uh, when your two drop with one defense gets killed, especially a two drop with one defense that isn't going to like take the game over. They're using that instead of that vile feast to finish off a Yasuo kill later in the game. So that's where I'm at with green glade lookout. I think this guy has got a lot of untapped potential um, and also has some of the cutest voice lines in the whole game. (laughs) Love this guy. Yeah, I I don't I don't disagree. I think there is some untapped potential in that card because anything that discounts cards, and you're right, it's not just getting cheaper. It's what turn are you able to pull off what effect, and that does matter a lot in games like this, a tremendous mm-hmm. amount. So yeah, I, I I'm completely on board with that, and I like that look that that last one, the green glade lookout. Um, why don't we just say what? Let's move over and let's uh, let's take like two questions from the Discord that came in today, and then we'll work on getting out of here. I learned that in class. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, guys. So if you want to uh, put in a Discord question, you can always do that over the podcast Q and A. And uh, I'm probably just going to take two of these. So I'm going to ask the first one, and you had already sort of started on this DBN, and so I'll let you answer first as I pick my second. So we're going to start with a question that came in first from Jeff that says, "What other labs or gauntlets do you think they'll come up with?" That's the whole question. So you want me to answer? You yeah, want I want, I want you to answer that. Yeah. What did I? What did I say before? Oh, uh, Popper gauntlets. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that that could be really cool. Um, there's been, so there's a lot of interesting things. Um, I remember one of my favorite uh, games that had alternate formats was Versus System. Um, also just one of my favorite games. Uh, Versus System did a really good job with making, um, you know, kind of the factions seem f- like uh, flavorful because they would do things like the Avengers was a faction, right? Or the Gotham Knights would basically be Batman and the assorted other, you know, vigilantes in Gotham City. Also, like, the police department, like, the GCPD would be part of the Gotham Knights faction, right? Um, but then you'd have, like, uh, the X-Men or the um, um, the Justice League or whatever, right? Um, but what was cool is when they would do um, a certain, like, uh, I guess not, um, what was it called? Like formats, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where they would do things like what we already do here in this game, which was they would have one called, you know, bring your own team up, right? And it basically would be you could only play, because normally you in that game, you could play cards from any team. Like you could play any cards you want in a deck. It oh, just, it, you got all these benefits when they shared that same affiliation, okay. right? So like there were certain abilities, you certain like things you just couldn't do if they didn't share that affiliation 
or if you couldn't find a way to team them up. And that was that was literally a type of card would be different team ups where you would cross over two affiliations for either a turn or for one character would absorb all the affiliations of whoever it was, you know, or just a permanent ongoing effect that would like team up the fantastic four and the X-Men. Like those were card effects. Um, but this format would start you already automatically teamed up for the entire game of the two factions you picked, but you couldn't play anything that didn't have those factions and you couldn't play any, uh, effectively spells they are called plot twists, but you couldn't play any spells that didn't explicitly call out those teams. So you couldn't play any generics which in that game just like i'm sure in like there are generics in other games like uh, like well like in hearthstone right you'd have generic creatures like neutral creatures you would have a lot of neutral like plot twist spells that would be just be simple things like plus two attack and flying or you know plus three attack uh for the turn right generics and some of the generics were pretty good They're, that's kind of where a lot of the you know secondary market would come from is some really powerful generics that would get traded or purchased as singles online for that game um so the point was you were forced to play deeper into your uh your deck pool but also kind of have that fun of like you know breaking some of the rules you didn't have to run team ups in your deck if you were playing those two teams that worked really well together now so you could free up that deck space for something more interesting um similarly uh they would have like formats like pauper which is a magic format as well right singleton uh they never did a singleton i don't think it would be very interesting if they had done that for that game um but um but yeah what i mean i think one of my favorite ones was that was just bring your own single team uh and you couldn't play any generics and you couldn't play anything from any other faction it was like a true allegiance format i think an allegiance gauntlet would be so fun i would really enjoy that because i think there's still especially after this next expansion i think would be a great time for it because there will finally i think be enough cards to really allow you to play multiple but still powerful and competitive archetypes within each faction maybe not Nox, uh, uh noxus right now but the other ones yeah so um yeah i i think that would be a really great direction for them to take the gauntlets as for the labs um i don't know i haven't played the new one i just think one of the, my favorite types of labs was when you could team up with one of your friends on your friends list or play against one of your friends on your friends list but it was designed with that cooperative nature in mind um i always appreciated those a lot uh so yeah you also could do the thing that like like there's a whole bunch of stuff they can pull from by the way with gauntlets but also with labs they can test a gauntlet in a lab like that's one of the sure. cool things that they could do with labs is see if there's a popular labs format then make it a gauntlet um and i think uh tessel had some really interesting of when i stopped playing some really interesting gauntlets things like um you know pick six cards and then your deck is completely filled with those six cards mm -hmm. you know or start the game at you know x mana start the game at full mana you know no well, how's that change what you're gonna play you know uh or start the game with like bonus cards in hand or no cards in hand you know, there's a lot of interesting ways that, you know, things you can do, which might shift how people build decks. And I think that's the interesting side of both labs uh, and uh, gauntlets. Even if you have labs where, like, there's not as much constructed stuff, I still think you do want to have some. Because I, I personally find the deck building, uh, deck building is still one of my favorite things in this game. So the more you can challenge me to make interesting, cool decks, uh, the, the happier I am.
So my thought is, uh, as, this, as the sets grow, the popper gauntlet um, makes sense. Uh, I think that a solo faction gauntlet makes sense. I think that three or four factions in a gauntlet makes sense. Um, I think that everything is the same, except you can only have one copy of each champion. Um, I think everything is the same, except you can have... Uh, you know, you can have three copies of four different champions and you can have 12 champions in your deck. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff that they could do with the number of champions and the number of factions that you're able to include um, that could be a lot of fun. Um, I think that uh, all of those things would be interesting deck building stuff for the gauntlets themselves. Um, the labs, uh, I think that they could take a lot of notes actually from the tavern brawls um, that Hearthstone has done. I always enjoyed the tavern brawls. Um, I think they were super fun. Um, I think that uh, things like if they created a boss, right? Like maybe there's a, a boss, uh, like a different artwork boss Ezreal deck that you have to go up against. Um, or maybe they go more with like the league style, right? And they have an assortment of five champions and, um, they build a deck that's, you know, kind of trying to defeat you or, I mean, they could even do some crazy stuff that's more linked with league that includes, you know, sort of like, uh, different towers that you have to destroy before you can destroy the enemy nexus. Um, that could be kind of cool because that's a little bit more, you get more of the MOBA vibe. They could bring in a little bit more of the MOBA vibe is vibe into some of the labs. Um, so I think there's a lot of stuff that they could do. I mean, they, they did wacky stuff with like randomly changing the, the, the mana cost of every card in your hand every turn. Um, <laughs> things like where you would co-op to try to complete a specific task. I like puzzles. I like the puzzles in uh, lethal puzzles in um, in what uh, in, uh, well, they were in both, but they were they were definitely better in Le and um, Elder Scrolls Legends. Um, and uh, and I think that in, you know you could do some some lethal lab type of stuff in a lab. Maybe there's a two week lab where there's fifteen lethal lethals that you have to figure out, right? And if you defeat all fifteen lethals, you get a specific icon or something. Um, that could be cool. I think that there's a lot of different things that they could do. They're, they're really just scratching the surface, and they've been really open about that from the beginning as well. That they really are. They're just scratching the surface of all of the things that they could do. Um, which is uh, which is really cool. I'm excited. I, I, I'm excited to see what they will come up with next. Yeah, I think so. I think that there's just a lot of untapped potential that'll just keep people excited and engaged in this game. So I think as long as they keep those things coming out in a timely fashion, we're all going to be uh, we're all going to be in a happy place with this. So I, I'm I'm very positive uh, about this, even though I didn't play the lab. <laughs> <laughs> So all the rest of the questions that came in could be really deep and deeply philosophical, but um, we don't have time to go super deep or super philosophical into any one of them. So I'm going to pick one of them and then we're going to talk about it without trying to go like, because I, all of these questions are actually things that we've had discussions about in previous episodes and gone really deep in before. Um, there's nothing in the, in the remaining questions. I think that aren't something that we've at least had a passing discussion about. Um, but uh, I think that uh, Tower Tower Hat Shaman um, is the one we're going to go with. And it's a long question, but uh, the, the premise of it is pretty simple. Tower Hat Shaman, um, do you think there's a good way to make aggro feel less bad playing against in the meta without completely shifting it to a heavy control meta? I've heard lots of cries about adjusting Noxus, um, but that alone seems like it would just allow control decks to get even more greedy with their deck design. Outside of a nerf, what do you think would help in making matches feel less polarizing or make the meta feel less like it's going 
in one extreme or the other. And uh, so really the bulk of the question here from Tower Hat Shaman is um, how do you go about and this is the you know it's a big it's a big question but how do you how do you go about balancing a game so it doesn't feel like every time there's an adjustment it just wildly shifts somewhere between aggro and then back to control you know how do you hit that sweet spot where there are other viable decks than the number one control deck and the number one aggro deck um you have any uh thoughts that uh you know maybe you know once again well, this is something we've talked about before um, on a deeper level it's a but. tough question and obviously i don't think yeah it's a tough question and i think it's one that like if there was a clear answer all the devs would have done it already <laughs> sure yeah um, of all of the tcgs i think yeah i i think that the the issue at play here i think is twofold one um you have burn and I generally think that burn should be relegated to a control or combo strategy and not a aggressive play style. Not that like it hasn't been done in other games well, although typically I don't see that to be the case, but more because of the level of interactivity. Once again, it all comes down to interactivity. That's what people want in a card game. People want to be able to interact with their opponent. They want their cards to interact with your opponent's cards. They want their card. It feel they want to feel like the cards that they have in their hand can influence the game, even if they end up losing. It's not necessarily about the overall, uh, you know. Uh, so it's it's not about what's strong. It's necessarily it's not. It's about how it is strong. Why is it strong? Uh, that I think dictates the fun level of it because I think ultimately you're going to have these tilts back and forth of, you know, aggro being fun, control being fun. So I think it's, this is the part A of my answer is to make sure that aggro allows for interaction. That means burn and elusive need to bite the dust or at least be harder to pull off. Um, and that means that it's one of two things, uh, either changing the mechanics such that they're not possible anymore um, or rather rotate them so that the burn cards are gravitated more towards a late game win condition. By the way, I think that would be the best way to make a Noxus control deck would be to not so much have it be a Noxus, um, like, you know, slow, you know, slowly whittle down their cards, but rather set up long lasting, um, you know, damage to the face engines, things like that four mana card that is generally just widely joked, that four mana catapult thing, mm -hmm. you know, that deals one to the damage, you know, one to the face. I mean, if you can look at back to old versus system in Yu-Gi-Oh uh, decks where slow burn was a strategy and a good one. Um, I think that, you know, things like Leviathan and City Breaker, uh, I think that would be great ways to uh, build the decks. Things that the longer they stick around, the more damage they do over time. And you want to defend those engines, right? Uh, Gwent, you can also look at for things like that. Um, so I think uh, that would be a great way to keep burn as a you know archetype, but take it away from aggro and into something else. Um, so uh, and then with elusive, I saw a, the best argument for fixing elusive ever, uh, which is perfect. Seriously, if you're a um, riot dev, I hope you're tuning in right now. And if you are at right your desk. Now. Or doing something, you know, just kind of listening to this in the background, or just checking in, like who are these goons? Um, I, th I hope you listen to this. The best thing is just going to be to rip off stealth from Hearthstone. Okay, make elusive only last for the turn it comes down. Um, that's really important because it's going to stop you from playing elusive and having it just stick around. 
ground and continue to be non-interactive. Uh, it's going to force people to play elusives to defend with. By the way, if you'd made that adjustment, you could take their defense stats up. Um, and I think it wouldn't mess up the balance. You could bring their defensive stats on these elusives back up um, and it would be okay. And then more importantly, I think most flavorfully, and the reason why I love this idea is because that then allows the recall mechanic to be super relevant, to reset their elusive status, to reset that stealth so that they can keep playing the way they want to play, which is to reduce interactivity. It just forces them to do it in a more synergistic way. Um, so I think that that is the most elegant solution I've seen yet, and one which I would not be unhappy with uh, if they went that route, which is that Elusive only lasts for the turn that it comes down, uh, or until it attacks. I mean, you could choose to do it one way or the other. I think it would just be a more elegant design if it's just for the turn, just kind of like Barrier. For the turn it comes down, it has Elusive. Sure. Um, because I think we've seen Barrier do be very perfectly balanced, uh, maybe even a little underwhelming, Um but I think that's good because of the power of Divine Shield and uh, Ward and Hearthstone and Tesla, respectively. I, th I think um, um, Barrier is in a really good position. I think we could see that same thing applied to Elusive, and it would be uh, in a much more interactive space, in a space that requires the opponent to think a lot harder about how they want to make an Elusive-focused deck. You might still see Elusives poking up here and there in other aggro decks, um, but it would not be all Elusives, all uh the time without being forced to have a secondary kind of mechanic involved so that's my point a answer for making aggro feel less bad uh my point b answer is just simple make mid-range only cards like cards that are designed for mid-range and that can't be abused in control and that requires a lot of you know i think very you know strong awareness of the uh control space but I do think that that would be making mid-range strong uh, helps this exact, you know, you know, switching back and forth of control to aggro meta. Um, really, you know, strengthening mid-range is the way to do it, I think. And that means printing board-centric five, six, and seven drops um, as opposed to kind of control-centric uh, five, six, and sevens. Um, things like I look at... Um, some of the Noxus ones as attempts in the right direction that have kind of flopped, uh, in my opinion, things like the, um, oh, I need to click show unowned, Auroch Glinthorn. I think the Auroch Glinthorn is a step that they wanted this to be a mid-rangey card, unfortunately. Uh, just requires a little too much synergy, but things like that, um, or the Armored Tusk Rider, I think that's another great mid-range card. Um, aggressive creatures can't target it, or can't damage it, you know, um, and so it's kind of got that built-in sort of survivability, uh, but it's an aggressive stat line. It wants to punch through damage to the face. So that's all I'm saying. Make mid-range strong. Print great five, six, and sevens that are board-centric. Mm -hmm. um, Thing like Ursine and Spirit Walker, right? The the five mana four six that if you plunder, it's a six six that gives everything with five or more attack overwhelm. Right, that can never be abused by a, a control deck because it's better form overwhelm. Right, so it's it is a it's a stronger. It's definitely like a mid range only card. Like it's only going to get played yeah. in that. Though I though I think that that card in of itself is a little timid. I think the design is uh, in that card is a little timid. I actually felt like it wouldn't have been busted for the uh, Ursine Spirit Walker for the the buffed up version to actually be. Um, 
the original base card, a five and a six, six with that effect, I did not feel would have been um, a bad thing for a mid rangey deck to have access to. So the key with, I think mid range is, yeah, sometimes you can get a little too strong. Like I think they did in elder Scrolls legends. If anyone remembers the, uh, um, that cat that summoned the other, the conjuring cat, uh, Alfie conjurer. There it is. Um, that was a, maybe a little overtuned, but I think that that, card really helped push a mid-range centric uh, meta that a lot of people were very very happy with um, where aggro was playable and control was playable but neither was um, broken because mid-range stood strong to keep them both in check and I think it requires the willingness that a mid-range deck be the strongest deck in the game sure I think you have to be willing for that to be the case uh, but there you go there's my two points Okay, no, that's good. That's good. Um, so I, you know, the whole question of like, how do you balance between not shifting back and forth in these polarizing metas between aggro heavy, then it's all control, aggro all control. Um, you know, it, it, I think that that is a really hard. Obviously, lots of dev teams have tried to master that and have not mastered it well. I, I actually don't really have a whole lot to add to the conversation that DVN didn't already put into the conversation because I think he's just right. Like there's there's a lot of truth in the fact that you just really need um, you really need the aggro deck not to be burn decks um, because the the burn direction of our two aggro decks right now makes it very hard to interact and that is not good. Um, I do think that they do need to focus on and try to target the mid-range meta. I think that is where the most experimentation can happen. I think that is oftentimes where the most people are happy. But I've also seen metas before where mid-range was so ridiculously oppressive that that was all that could be played. And that can happen very easily. So the answer to my to your question, uh, you know, uh, Tower Hat Shaman, is I don't really have an answer. If I was a lead card game designer, possibly I would. But I think that it's just an answer that's too hard to 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 answer i think that the the truth is as a card game player i've just come to accept the fact that there are going to be times when aggro is strong there's going to be times that control is strong and there's going to be less times that mid-range is strong i prefer mid-range and control metas because it leaves more room for experimentation um but i don't get really upset when an aggressive meta is apparent and i think honestly the way that legends of runeterra has gone about fixing that problem is to say there is no way to fix the problem so we are going to be more aggressive about making adjustments more quickly and that's kind of the way the team has just said this is how we're going to address the meta not being what we want it to be is that we're only going to make you stay in it for a couple of weeks um, versus other games that have tried to get the perfect balance and make you stay in a bad meta for months um, this game can make it so that you only have to stick in that for a couple of weeks and I think they've done quite well with that and it's a very different approach to balancing the game it's it's kind of saying listen if you don't like it you don't have to stick with it very long we're gonna we're gonna change it up and that way uh, you know you're never out of the game for too long and and you there's typically something to experiment with you, you typically always have something that you can try out and experiment with because you don't two weeks is never enough time to try everything and uh and so that gives you room maybe you're frustrated maybe you don't like the meta but it, it, it you will always have things you you can never exhaust all of your options in the time frame that they're giving you before they're making their next bout of adjustments or releasing their next set of cards um and so i think that that is just a unique way that this team has gone about addressing that issue and i like that yeah 
Um, that's it. That, that's the only other question we're going to take, man. Did I lose you, DBN? Yes, I did. At some point or another. Nope. I think I just was muted. Oh, you were just muted. Okay. Well, I'm I had to, I had to like clickety clack on my keyboard, uh, for a second. And, uh, I forgot to unmute. I even had like an interjection at some point there to like, I was like, yeah, yeah, great point. And I guess that was not picked up. No, so no, it wasn't picked up. Uh, rip. Uh, well, oh, well. Guys, once again, we make mistakes around here at Legends Cast. Um, uh, it's, but, uh, not, it's not a mistake. It's a happy accident because who really wanted to hear my voice in the first place? Mm, Roll credits. Wow. Well, <laughs> listen, we're going to get out of here, <laughs> but I do have a very quick, from life today, a very quick closing thought. And I thought I was already perfect. So my closing thought today actually comes from a trip to Kohl's. I went to Kohl's with my wife today, and there was a guy who was probably like late 50s, early 60s, right? And he's like talking to the he's talking to the, the, the checkout clerk about, you know, coronavirus or something. And she was clearly in an awkward situation she didn't want to be in. Um, but then this this gentleman, so he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt in like uh, in, in like what's supposed to be like khaki shorts, but they're the khaki they're like the khaki shorts with a fully elastic band, like no button, like you know you know what I'm talking about, right? Those, those shorts, sh surely you know. Mm -hmm. Um, so sure. so he he's like he decides that he's gonna adjust himself. So he like he like puts both of his hands down his shorts and sweeps his arms from front of him to back of him, and then from back of him to front of him. Like it's a full fluffing of the shorts, full fluffing of the shorts, and then like a full readjustment of the shirt, which required him to pull it up about halfway up himself. Right. So like pulls the shirt halfway up himself, front and back, front and back of the shorts, and then. And like he's off and I was like oh my god <laughs> like, um, so here's my here's my words of wisdom my closing thought today I'm still confused what happened I'm 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 not visualizing this correctly I don't think okay okay so picture a a larger man wearing Got a it. pair of shorts with an elastic waistband yes okay he juts his hands down his pants on I underneath of his shorts on either side of his hips. Okay, got then it. Then he sweeps to the front with both arms, sweeps to the back with both arms, and then back to the front again to sort of stretch Why? out the elastic band and fluff out the shorts. I don't know. I've never fluffed out the shorts before. But that's oh, I what thought this, there was a purpose to this or something. He was I, just doing it? I just think he was trying to get comfortable. I think the elastic was just grating on him or something. I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe he felt like his, 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 his shorts were a little cattywampus and not centered. I'm not sure. But that's what he did. But here's what I took away from because I went out and talked to my wife about it. Like, that Wait, was... you have a words of wisdom based on elastic guy? Yeah, basic elastic guy. Here's my words of wisdom. Be aware of your surroundings. Um, just be aware of where you are. This guy was horribly unaware of his surroundings. This poor checkout clerk was... She's masked. She's not enjoying her life. And he she's throwing out so many signals that I don't want to talk to you, a stranger, about the pandemic. I don't want to hear anybody else's opinion about this. Please don't talk to me about it. Then he has no awareness for where he is and him adjusting his clothing at the time. So I like I got to see his stomach and like like all kinds of like, geez, oh man, dude. And so sometimes you just need to be aware of your surroundings it's good to have a little bit of self-awareness and this is what i'm going to tell you if you feel like you don't have self-awareness if you feel like you constantly are in conversations with people and they're feeling awkward and you're not 
sure why they're feeling awkward, pick up a little book on Amazon called, um, called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It's a book on teaching you how to be self-aware, examining your surroundings and examining your motivations. Uh, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It'll come up with like a build for who you are as an individual, kind of like a personality test, and also helps you grow in the area of emotional intelligence, which is one of the most important things for being successful in life. You can be really, really intelligent, but if you have no emotional intelligence and no awareness of your surroundings and no ability to pick up on context clues, you will struggle to be successful in life. So that's my that's my closing thought is from Elastic Man and Coles today. Um, be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of your surroundings. Beautiful. Yeah, we beautiful. All, we all got something out of it. <laughs> Not elastic man, but the message. Yes. Beautiful. Uh, a lot. Well, you know, hey, everyone's beautiful on the inside. Um, uh, DBN In the inside of the elastic. <laughs> From the inside of the elastic. <laughs> on this beautiful part. <laughs> Woo. Okay, let's get out of here. DBN. Uh, how can people get connected with you, man? Uh, YouTube and stuff. Dead broke nerd, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay. Uh, Discord and stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash the lift. Find it all in the show notes. You don't really need to go over it all. Just click it there. That's going to do it for this episode of Legends Cast. Thank you so much for tuning in with us, guys. And be sure to come back again next week. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you want to become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast or leave a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts.